Hey, I'm Josh Almonte, pitcher for the Vancouver Canadians, and you're listening to C Plus Podcast. Welcome back to the C's Plus Podcast for episode four. As always, I'm Ben Steiner alongside Nala Donahoe. Canadians are back home for the first time in a couple of weeks. Uh, right now, they are going to get ready for the rubber match of their three-game set against the uh, Everett Aqua Sox after a pretty tough road trip, but uh, we'll see what the Canadians can do here for the rest of the second half. And you look back at the 10-game road trip, three and seven, not really the way they wanted to start after taking two out of three in Spokane. Looked promising at first and kind of just went downhill after that. Yeah, after those opening two games in Spokane, I really thought they would at least hit 500 on the road trip. But, of course, they let a few games slip and fall to three and seven, which doesn't set them up fantastically to make a run for the playoffs. But they do have a lot of home games coming in this last part of the season. So they could make a case of it, but there was a big addition to the team while they were away, Alec Manoa, and he is a big addition. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it was a treat to get to, uh, get to, uh, to uh, it was a treat to, sorry if I can uh, get out the words correctly, it was a treat to get to watch him pitch on uh, Thursday night, uh, seven strikeouts over uh, three shutout innings, uh, absolutely outstanding, and of course it kind of reminded me of when Nate Pearson was on the scene here just two years ago, and Nate Pearson knocking on the door uh, at Double A and uh, he's not that far away from the majors. I think it looks like we may see him in a Toronto uniform perhaps sometime in 2020. But going back to Alec Manoa, absolutely outstanding. Did hit 100 on the uh, radar guard uh, once. Uh, was in the high 90s consistently. Was around 95. Uh, I think I saw a 96 and a 98 somewhere as well on the radar gun. Uh, absolutely outstanding. I was really impressed with his last inning because from what we were told, it was about a 50 pitch limit he had. And he had used, I believe, 42 of them over the first two innings because Everett did make him work, even though he did keep them off the board. They did make him work the first two innings, but then he strikes out the side in the third. I believe he only needed 11 pitches. And William Gaston was on standby in the bullpen and waiting to go. And we thought, well, maybe maybe he'll uh, get a batter or two, and then maybe Gaston comes in. But as it turns out, uh, Manoa got the job done and uh, did really well. And uh, it was given three more pitches to play with, finished up with 53 pitches. So, uh, really an outstanding debut, and I think the fans are really impressed with what they saw from the former West Virginia Mountaineer. He definitely had a bit of a rough start in the first inning. On the first pitch, he hit the first batter, and I think he used something like 25, for, uh, 25 pitches in that first inning. And I know I was watching the game up here in the uh, press table at the top of the stands, and I thought there's no way he's going three innings, left, maybe not even two after right. using almost half of his pitch count right. in one inning. But, That's what was impressive about it. He, like he was able to... He did, he did go three innings, and it was a very impressive performance. Uh, yeah, I mean, seven following that first inning. Yeah, seven strikeouts over three innings. And as you mentioned, that's right, the first pitch of the game, uh, he uh, nailed uh, the leadoff hitter with a 93 mile an hour fastball. And, you know, those don't tickle, obviously, but uh, I guess good thing it wasn't 100. But, I mean, they hurt. I'm, you they know, hurt. I haven't been yeah. hit by a pitch because uh, I don't play baseball. I did it when I was a. A youngster that was many, many years ago, and I can only imagine that doesn't tickle. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure he was pretty amped up, ready to go. He knows that, uh, you know, all Blue Jays fans, uh, they have their eyes on him. He's the first-round pick. Uh, really was rated, I think, by many as a top pitcher coming out of the uh, 2019 draft, and he was absolutely outstanding and uh, did a great job. He was able to settle down after that. Got some help from his battery mate, uh, Philip Clark. Uh, uh, Clark did great throwing out uh, two uh, base runners uh, trying to steal. And could have had a third one except for a drop ball, but uh, Philip Clark also had a pretty good game behind the plate as well, helping Alec Manoa uh, uh, 
work through that, uh, you know, a couple of uh, base runners to deal with early on. But then that outstanding uh, third inning, striking out the side, uh, 11 pitches. And one more you can say, an absolutely outstanding debut. And maybe they might, uh, might maybe you might see him in all uh, pitch a few more uh, innings here before in Vancouver. But I think another thing you got to think about, too, if the Canadians fall out of the playoff race. Lansing's still in Lansing it. Lansing is still in it. And you know what? I wouldn't even be surprised if Dunedin. Uh, is a possibility as well because Dunedin is going to the playoffs. They clinched their yeah, playoff berth. Yeah, so I mean, it's not out of the question that you know if the Canadians don't stay in contention. Yeah, I don't think Alec Manoa will be here for long. So for those of you who got to watch him Thursday night, uh, savor the experience. I don't know how many more outings he's going to get here. Maybe one or two more, but you know, I think really we're just all hoping the Canadians can stay in playoff contention and uh, keep the roster uh, the way it is. Yeah, I hope so, and it's definitely a treat seeing. Big prospects such as Manoa pitch here at the Nat. Of course, we had Stroman, Syndergaard, Sanchez. A lot of those big names pitch here at the Nat for a brief period of time. And this year, right now, as we speak, we actually have four Canadians in the top 30 prospects in the Blue Jays organization. Of course, there's Alec Manoa, and then we have Adam Klofenstein, who's been here since the start of the year, and Will Robertson and Tanner Morris, a bit lower down in those prospect rankings. So it's definitely a promising year here at the Nat Bailey. Uh, it is, and especially Tanner Morris, I'm really liking what he's been doing lately. I think he's been getting better and better as the season has gone along. There's a lot of question whether he was going to join the Blue Jays or not, or was he going to return to uh, Virginia for another season? But uh, the Blue Jays, you know, even though it was basically out of the blue, they came from out of the woodwork to draft Morris. Uh, you know, Morris has shown a really good eye at the plate. He's among the league uh, leaders in walks and uh, starting to, you know, I think play with a bit more confidence in the field as well. He's been moving all around uh, second, short, third, uh, that sort of thing. But I've liked what he's been doing, and he's starting to hit for a little bit more power now, and I think he is certainly deserving of a, of a top 30 spot. I think, uh, I think there's more to come from Tanner Morris uh, heading into uh, the rest of the season and beyond. I would think so. For most of the guys in the top 30, it's only kind of scraping the surface of what they can offer, and they all have uh, very high floors um, if they're in the top 30. And we'll see where these guys progress, but I wouldn't be surprised to see any of them be called up to Lansing or maybe even Dunedin as the season progresses. And as you say, the season might fall out of playoff contention. While they were on the road, there was also the All-Star game. Yes. And we had four guys from the Canadians be called up. What do you think of those selections and who were they? Uh, you know what? They were outstanding. Uh, outstanding selections. Jorman Rodriguez, uh, the Northwest League leader in batting at 369, just got called up uh, I just got called up to the Lansing Lung Nuts, and really, I think everybody's expecting that to happen. We thought maybe it was going to happen a little bit sooner than that, but uh, Jorman Rodriguez definitely deserving, and, and he did get to play in the All-Star game, which is good. So that was his last official act as a Vancouver Canadian. For now. Uh, for now. Well, yeah, you never know. For now. But, uh, but I certainly wish Jorman the best. He had an outstanding season. It's definitely as hot as any hitter we've seen come through uh, the Northwest League in a Vancouver uniform. Uh, Trevor Schwecki, I thought that was another uh, well-deserved selection. He's been outstanding as well. And he's been drawing walks. You know, he's been playing all over the infield. And I think he's done a pretty reasonable job at first base. You know, as we mentioned, they haven't really had a natural first baseman uh, on the roster this year. But I, I think he's done fairly well uh, considering uh, he's been all over the infield as well. And uh, he's been uh, flirting with 300 uh, for the season. And uh, I think he's probably been one of their more consistent hitters outside of uh, Jorman Rodriguez. And Jorman Rodriguez was one of those first basemen that's been cycling that's right. through the Canadians. So they do lose one of the first basemen on the roster. So maybe we see a bit more of uh, Trevor Schwecki at yeah, first base. It looks like, and then Ronnie Brito, he's been playing there as well. So yeah, we could very well be seeing a, a lot more. And uh, 
Um, and as far as the other All-Stars go, uh, you look at Philip Clark. He was a late addition, but I think also a very uh, a very good selection as well, even though he was a little late getting on the scene here because after he was with the Vanderbilt uh, Commodores after winning the College World Series, um, uh, Clark, uh, you know, hit two home runs uh, his first two games, and uh, he's been batting uh, around 300, and uh, he's been a nice bat, and uh, also trying to provide a good, a steady pleasant, uh, presence behind the plate, working with all these pitchers like uh, Adam Klofenstein and Alec Manoa, so uh, that was a good selection as well. I wasn't sure if he really had enough at-bats to get considered, but he was a late addition, and uh, the other uh, addition for the um, for the Canadians on the All-Star game was Adam Klofenstein, Adam Klofenstein and yeah. he pitched uh, three up, three down inning in the all-star game and, yeah that was great i uh, think it was only a dozen pitchers or so he it, had it's great he gets to be in that all-star yeah. game and he doesn't exhaust himself either yeah so it works out for everyone yeah adam klofenstein definitely not to be forgotten uh has also a northwest league uh, pitcher of the week award under his belt and uh even though his last start didn't go as well as he would have liked uh three runs over five innings it was still a decent outing he kept his team in the game uh you know it was kind of a tough uh, first couple of innings for him um, you know, he got to two strikes and a couple of batters couldn't quite put them away. He did get four strikeouts though, in, in five innings. And, uh, yeah, maybe it wasn't his, his best effort, but, or, I mean, he did put in the effort, I guess it wasn't his best performance, I should say. Uh, but you know, he kept his team in the game. It was still only a three, one game at that point. And so unfortunately he took the loss, but still all in all, uh, Adam Klofenstein, he, he's been uh, getting better as this season has gone along. What do you think of the, uh, all-star game format with the Pioneer League? against the Northwest League, or would you prefer a different format, maybe uh, South versus North in the Northwest League, Northwest League or something else? You know what? Uh, obviously, it seems like the format is is going pretty well. Uh, you know, at first, it was the Northwest League. They were kind of eating the Pioneer League's uh, uh, lunch. Uh, they know, are a stealing the, Yeah, stealing their lunch money. And of course, yeah, uh, Pioneer League is considered, uh, you know, just a step below the Northwest League. But I guess it's now been the last two years in a row the Pioneer League has come out on top. So it looks like now it's starting to, you know, it's starting to gain more traction. I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing how, you know, it was held in Boise this year. It's amazing how they were able to get all of that organized between two leagues and uh, uh, sending their best players. Yeah, it would mean more if, if it was like a Northwest League All-Star game. Maybe you'll see more Canadians on the All-Star team. But I don't know. I think, you know, you like to see the very best of the best. And I think it's a good format. So, uh, you know, you like to see maybe the all-star game come here in Vancouver, but I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon, but I, I, I like the format and I, I, you know, it's an honor for the players, but it's also a grind for the players who get selected. You know, uh, everybody else gets to enjoy three days off. They didn't, they had to go travel to Boise and Boise, not exactly a short trip from Vancouver. So they did get to fly though. They did. So, yeah. Uh, so, it's not another bus ride. Yeah. Um, so I, it, yeah, I mean, but regardless, travel is travel. And, uh, um, you know, and speaking of travel, I think, you know, for the Canadians, that road trip, a 10 game road trip, not an easy 10 game no, road trip it, either. So it wasn't, no, drives, yeah. yeah, long drives and also the temperatures. I actually had a chance to go out to Tri City to catch the Saturday game, a game in which the Canadians lost two to one. Adam Klopfenstein pitching in that game, and he was rolling after five innings. But I'll tell you what, it was like 80, I think it was like 88, 90 degrees Fahrenheit that game. And apparently uh, the temperatures have been around 100 there in the Tri-City area earlier this week. Boise, not exactly a chilly a chilly climate either. Also right up there in uh, Fahrenheit. So, um, you know, I mean, that takes a toll on you. I mean, 10-game road trip. And, and they, in the case of the other three players, we're still on the roster. You know, really a 12-day, 13-day road trip. Yeah, so. definitely. And I listen to all the games that Rob Fay calls. And, of course, he's on the road as well with the team. And... He describes the atmospheres at some of the stadiums, and it almost seems like 
the energy is taken out of the stadiums because it's so hot. Yeah. Of them. Uh, you've traveled to a lot of the stadiums. What do you think of that comparing to the Nat Bailey crowd? And does the heat affect the crowd? Yeah, you know what? Actually, in Tri-City, uh, it was actually a sellout there. Uh, it was a fireworks night. It was, uh, I think, one of the few sellouts Tri-City has had. It's a nice stadium, um, It's uh, but it's very warm. They, and if you've ever been there, you'll notice uh, a sun, uh, basically a sun wall that they have built up on the first base side to keep the sun from uh, peering in because apparently the way the ballpark was built, uh, home plate usually has to face north, and it's the opposite. It faces south. Uh, that's where home plate faces towards, and um, yeah, it's really warm, and I, I spoke to Chris King, the Tri-City broadcaster. Apparently, they tried doing a Sunday afternoon game uh, a few years ago, uh, but it was like 40 degrees Celsius, uh, and basically uh, the Tri-City staff basically were handing out bottles of water to keep everybody you know, hydrated, so that's why you always see games uh, scheduled at night at Tri-City. Uh, they'll never do afternoon games there again because it's just that warm. Yeah, I've noticed across a lot of the Northwest League, they don't really do the Nooners as much as we do here at the Nat. No, no. I mean, it's we're, we're kind of like the Wrigley Field of uh, the Northwest League. You know, the uh, the odd day game here and there, and you know, it, it's a neat feature. Uh, you know, it's good good excuse for people to skip out of work and uh, spend a day at the ballpark. Even though Friday's game wasn't the best uh, for the Canadians, you know, it's still always fun to come out to a Nooner here at the Nat during a weekday and. Um, you know, hopefully the Canadians can uh, get rolling. There's uh, at least one more left, uh, one more weekday nooner left, and that will be the uh, regular season finale at home. Hopefully not the final regular or final game period, but it might very well be. But we'll keep our fingers crossed, and hopefully things way, will go well. With the way things are looking right now, it very well could be, which is unfortunate. But it has been another fun season for all the spectators and fans who come to the Nat Bailey Stadium, even if the on-field product might not be the best this year. It is always a treat for people to come and experience baseball in this beautiful city of Vancouver, British Columbia. So the Seas, they get home from this 10-game road trip. They have three quick games at home against the Everett Aquasocks, and they're right back on the road for, I think it's another seven games. Uh, what can they look up for on this upcoming road trip? Well, it's going to be another long road trip. Uh, they go to Eugene. Uh, basically, they'll board the bus and start heading to Eugene as soon as they possibly can because that's another... I, I believe an eight-hour bus ride. I haven't been to Eugene yet. That's uh, that's one of the four parks I've not seen. I've uh, I've seen half of them now with Hillsboro, uh, Everett, uh, and of course Tri City, and of course here in Vancouver. So that's what I can uh, speak from personal experience. Uh, Eugene, of course, that's where they uh, uh, also host uh, the Oregon uh, State Beavers. No, or Oregon Ducks. Sorry, I should ducks, say yeah. the Ducks. There you go. I was getting my Oregon teams confused, but uh, that's where uh, that's where the Ducks also play. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's good memories for the Canadians. If you remember 2017, uh, being able to come away with the split in Eugene and then uh, taking it home uh, uh, back here in game number four. But as far as what they can expect, uh, well, when Eugene was here, things did not go very well. The Canadians were in uh, throes of a deep slump that began the season and really took them out of contention early on. So we'll see if the Canadians can gain some revenge. And it's going to be tough, though. I mean, it's a long trip. Um, We'll see how that goes. And then I believe after that, they go to, I'm trying to remember who they go to. Oh, Spokane. Yeah, they go to Spokane after that. So that'll be another trip for them. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, obviously the big series is going to be Spokane. They need to get yeah, those divisional right. victories. And Spokane, of course, already they have their ticket punch to the postseason. So uh, hopefully the Canadians can rediscover the mojo they had in Spokane uh, the last time around and maybe apply to Eugene as well. But it's going to be a tough road trip, no doubt about it. It is a road trip. And as we've seen this season, Home field does matter because 
Tri-City was here at the Nat Bailey twice. The Canadians swept them twice. Right. They go into Tri-City and they lose all three games. Yeah, so and that's another key series coming up uh, for uh, for Vancouver uh, with Tri-City. They have to go there again in the Tri-City. They'll actually be the team that'll be here for the Canadians' final uh, regular season uh, series here at home. So, yeah, some big uh, games, uh, divisional games coming up. Uh, Tri-City may very well be the team that uh, Vancouver really has to worry about, and that's why it really hurt that they got swept. If they could have at least gotten one, you know, it wouldn't have been so bad, but that sweep really hurts, and that's really kind of put the Canadians behind the eight ball, but who knows if they can maybe uh, sneak a win out of here tonight against Everett and, uh, you know, keep their heads above water for the road trip. We'll see what happens when uh, the Canadians enjoy the rest of the, uh, really the majority of their games at home uh, to round out the season. And they've got to do this all without Jorman Rodriguez, who is now in Lansing, as we mentioned before. So this is also our first podcast since the MLB trade deadline, where we saw a lot of moves on the Blue Jays and a lot of Canadian, former Canadians leave the organization. So there was Marcus Stroman. He joined another former Canadian at the New York Mets. Uh, there was Aaron Sanchez. He was traded to the Houston Astros alongside Joe Biagini and uh, a team uh, no-hitter in his first game, yeah. which uh, definitely is not a great look on the Blue Jays. But what are some other former Canadians doing now in the major leagues? Well, you well, talking about uh, Marcus Stroman, um, yeah, unfortunately, the marriage just dissolved. And it's unfortunate how it all... Uh, went down in the end uh of course it's a big pr battle uh who was right who was wrong i think really both sides can you know take share of the blame but it's unfortunate the way it ended i think marcus stroman did want to stay in toronto i mean you know he got, he got a tattoo of the toronto skyline on his body so i mean obviously you don't do that if you don't like the city so i think definitely stroman's love for toronto is genuine i know some people may uh, may question it, but I think if you get a tattoo, I think that's that's pretty. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty that's, good sign. It's literally ingrained on his body. Yeah, exactly. And uh, as far as uh, Aaron Sanchez, what really hurts is um, what really hurts is just the fact. It looked like he was starting around in a form before the trade, and trading away really three players for one. I think a lot of people were really pretty upset about, it, and I think rightfully so. I they, think they, they could have gone a little bit more. Office. Yeah, uh, you know, I think. I think Derek Fisher, I think there's something there. Obviously, I think some other teams feel that way, too. They think Derek Fisher, he does have something to offer, but I think they could have gotten a little more out of that trade. But, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But Bo Bichette, uh, you know, that's the other story. Even though he was not here in Vancouver, we would love to have seen him here, but he was injured uh, during his time at the GCL. And, of course, he went straight up to Lansing. I think we yeah. saw why. Uh, extra base hits uh, record for the Blue Jays. He's been absolutely outstanding. Uh, and, you know, with him and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, I think just, uh, you know, in fact, they were able to beat the Yankees again today at Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And, you know, Kevin Biggio, you know, seeing all these guys. So I think the future, you know, may, maybe. The future of the infield is almost set. They need to find pitching. That, the pitching, of course, and they need to find someone behind the plate as well for the future because we don't really know if Danny Jansen's that guy. But it is all coming together for the Blue Jays. Danny Jansen, I think he's. He's done better defensively. I think maybe better defensively than most people thought, but the bat, it's shown signs of coming around, but then, yeah, you know, it's just been, it's kind of been up and down, but uh, you know what? I, I don't think, I don't think it's time to give up on Danny Jansen just yet, but, uh, but as far as the trades go, well, it's time to turn the page and, uh, you know, just try and look ahead towards the future and see what happens. The one former Canadian uh, is Kevin Biggio. Um, he's playing at shortstop. They've got, uh, Freddie Galvis and Kevin Biggio at shortstop for the Blue Jays. 
who do you see as the shortstop of the future for Toronto? Well, I think it'll be Bo Bichette, it looks like. Uh, I think that's they want to give him every opportunity to see uh, if yeah, he can. Sorry, I got yeah, that's right. Vigio has been in second base, so yeah, I just got to flip the infield there. But, uh, you know, middle infield nonetheless. But, yeah, they want to see if these guys can stay in their positions. Uh uh, you know, Kevin Biggio, uh, he just always struck me when he was here in Vancouver. He was just a grinder, just somebody who will do what it takes to improve. I mean, he obviously got that work ethic from his dad. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, he's he's had he's had some issues sometimes at second base. I know they've also used him in the outfield, and not only in Toronto, but in Buffalo as well. Uh, but I think I think great things are, are ahead for Kevin Biggio, the legacy infield. And, uh, you know, you got Lourdes Gurriel Jr., even though he uh, he's on the DL, but you know, he's coming around. He, he is coming around, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, basically since he came back in May, just been uh, tearing the cover off the ball. I know he kind of had a bit of a downturn, but uh, but definitely the infield future is bright, and of course the outfield as well. And you know, maybe Derek Fisher, maybe he might prove us all wrong and maybe be worth uh, three players uh, in the end. I hope so, but um, taking balls in the face and closing your glove <laughs> a little too early—that's not exactly the way to start your Blue Jays career. <laughs> so that'll be it for Niall and I on this podcast. I did an interview with Caroline Frolick earlier this week, and she is a baseball analyst for Sportsnet uh, Pacific for the Canadians broadcast, which is actually going to be on TV tonight, this third game of the series against the Everett Aquasox. So here we'll go to the interview, and thanks for listening. We'll probably be back for another episode or two before I leave for Ryerson University in Toronto. Thanks for listening, and here's the interview. And now on the C's Plus podcast, we welcome Sportsnet TV analyst uh, and News 1130 personality, Caroline Frolick. Welcome to the podcast, Caroline. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm an analyst. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you originally get into media? I, I've always been interested in it, but didn't think it was anything that I could do. I thought it was just so out of the realm of possibility, but... I, at the ripe old age of 26, I had my midlife crisis, yeah, and I took a job at City TV in Toronto as a receptionist, and just to see if I liked being in the industry, in the business, and I just, you know, made friends and got to speak to the right people, and one of them was uh, Peter Dvorak, who I will owe my career to forever. He was the assignment editor at City TV, and um, I used to just bother him every time he would be eating his lunch I would bring in tours of high school students and I would make them watch him eat his lunch which drove him absolutely nuts but it amused <laughs> the heck out of me so he eventually we just got to talking and uh, he said well what do you want to do I said well I'd like to be Catherine Humphreys one day and he goes what you like sports and I said yeah I'd love to be a sportscaster but you know who knows and he went oh and then he walked away and I was like all right, jerk, like, why did you ask? You didn't care kind of thing. And then 10 minutes later, he came back and said, write this number down. So the number to the new VR in Barry. They know you don't have any experience, but I told them you have something. I'm not sure what, but you have something, and I want to eat my lunch in peace. And I was just, uh, okay. So I immediately called the number. They brought me up for a screen test. And uh, it was my first time reading from a teleprompter, and I could say the name Hideki Arabu, which they were shocked by. They said, how do you know that name? And I said, well, because that's his name. And uh, they said, well, it sounds like you really know sports. I'm like, oh, gee, thanks. And they gave me a shot, and as the kids say, the rest is history. So you just never know when your shot might come. 
And then, so how'd you end up at uh, originally the score and now at News 1130? I was at the New VR for a year and a half, and I heard that WTSN was starting up in Toronto. So I, that was in Barrie, Ontario, about an hour north of Toronto. And I heard that they were starting this new station and, you know, a station about women in sports. Yes. Yes, please sign me up. So I became an associate producer there. And uh, long story short, the station didn't go the way everyone had planned the first little bit. So they laid off a whole slew of people six weeks in and I was one of them. But I had already spoken to people who knew people at the score. So I just kept sending in a tape every week. Again, persistency is key. I just sent, kept sending in a tape every week, every week, every week. And they finally called me and said, why don't you just come in for an interview? And I thought, okay, finally. And uh, they liked me. I liked them. We just got along great. And I ended up being at the score for close to 10 years. And why baseball? Why baseball? Because my dad made me a baseball fan when I was a kid. It was baseball and hockey when I was little, and um, this will age me quite a lot, but uh, I don't really remember when the Jays got the, got the franchise, got the expansion, but I remember my dad putting a cap on my head saying, you can no longer cheer for UP because my hometown team now has a team, and that's your team. I went, <laughs> okay, the bird's cute. And then that was it. And uh, just listening to my dad talk about baseball, he's from the era where, you know, the, the really, you know, those players, you know, the red machine, he followed that when he was a kid. So it just, it just was ingrained in me as a kid. And the first time I ever went into Exhibition Stadium as a youngin, and I saw my first professional game, I was in awe. And I knew that I was a baseball fan. And so has your media work kind of circulated around baseball or was it more widespread? It was more widespread. I mean, I was, I was lucky that when I got the show, the score tonight, score tonight, score now, what, was, what the heck was it called? Gosh, it was the <laughs> flagship show that ran overnight on the score. Goodness gracious. I'm fired and I don't even work there anymore. Uh, I don't remember the name, but it happened to be in the summer so all of our updates were baseball which was a lot of fun and uh but being on a sports network you covered everything and of course hockey hockey was king and i'm a huge hockey fan as well i mean a lot of my friends don't like watching hockey with me because i get a little how do you say passionate but yeah when i had that show that ran overnight it was mostly baseball so I just kind of rolled the punches, NBA fan, but I don't know. There's something about baseball that just, I, I want to say it's in my blood, I guess. So what do you prefer, being on TV or your now job being on radio? Ooh, that's hard. That's apples and oranges. What I like about radio is, all right, all, all your female listeners are going to get it. Like, we don't have to get pretty. You know, I can just put up a ponytail, I can relax, wear my sweats, and I can just talk. And with radio, you really have to connect with the audience and you can't, you know, use a cute look. You can't, you know, use crutches to connect with the audience. You have to connect with the audience using personality and brains, which I love. Television is fun because it's performing. So uh, it's apples and oranges. I really enjoy them both. And I like the, I like the opportunity that I have to be able to do both. Yeah, uh, never get bored. Especially, of course, right now, uh, the uh, Canadians being on Sportsnet 
for select games this year on TV. How's that experience been being back on TV uh, after a few years not on TV? It was unnerving because I, you know, had my self-conscious thoughts of, wow, I haven't been on in 10 years. And if anybody happens to remember me, you know, I don't look the same. You know, we all age. (laughs) I got a little nervous about that. And then I thought, oh, you know what? Forget it. You know, I'm not here for that. I'm here to give the audience information. And that is my job. And I'm passionate about the team. I'm passionate about Vancouver. And I'm so thrilled for the Canadians to be able to have this national opportunity. So, you know what, Frolic, it's not about you. Enjoy it and have fun with it. And uh, the Canadians have been wonderful, allowing me to put in my personality and kind of letting me run with it. And, you know, they trust me, which is, is huge. That's everything. What's been the most special thing to you about the Nat Bailey being around Vancouver baseball? Uh, and especially this year, now that you're kind of more in the organization, what has made that special? Gosh, so many things. I mean, my dad came to Vancouver when he was young, young, young. He became a lawyer at 18, and uh, BC was the only province I would, have allowed, but I would allow him to practice. So he moved here a long time ago, and he stayed for many, many, many years, which is how I was born here. But he said to me, he said, oh, baseball in Vancouver? I used to go watch games when I was in my 20s. There was a place down on Canby. And I said, are you kidding me? (laughs) And so I'm pretty sure it's very similar. So it kind of comes full circle. Uh, What I love about Nat Bailey is there's people from, uh, it's going to sound so silly, but it's so true. People from all walks of life, young, old, different backgrounds, but everybody's there for the same thing. Everybody is there for their team, and it's pride in Vancouver and pride in the Canadians. And it's just a different feeling being in that Bailey Stadium. And I've been to a lot of stadiums as a fan um, and as a professional uh, broadcaster, but there's, I don't think that this energy at the Nat can be matched. And it's, I don't, I wish I could put it into words, but it's just so special. I get goosebumps every time I watch people do the chicken dance or just watch people just cheer and run. It's, it's just something so special. And this is, this is our team here in Vancouver. You know, we're only Canadian affiliate of the major leagues. And that's something special. And they, these kids are, are great athletes. And it's something that we get to say we saw before the guys in Toronto get to see them, before the fans in Toronto. Oh, yeah. Oh, Kevin Vision, yeah. We saw him. What? Oh, yeah. He's your new guy? Oh, yeah. We've already seen him. So it's just so it's a little feather in our cap that we get to see something before Toronto does. You speak about how there's so many different types of fans, but in my experience mm-hmm. than that, there's not a lot of people who really follow the team. Do you wish that more people followed the team more than that day and it was a more dedicated fan base, or are you happy the way it is? Oh, of course. I would love everyone to you know, be partying and celebrating a C's win, like, uh, if if the C's make it to the championship, I want want Vancouver to celebrate the way Toronto celebrated in Jurassic Park. Okay, that's a bit of a stretch because (laughs) they're differently. So you know what I'm saying. I would love to see that passion. But what I am impressed by is that even though there's a a murmur amongst the crowd, they're all chatting with each other and having fun at social hour, when the seeds get a hit, they cheer. You know, so they're still multitasking. You know, these fans, they may be, some may be fair weather, but what I find is they're 
still following the game. And we've gotten a lot of good response at Sportsnet 650 and News 1130 when we include the seats in our broadcasts. Because um, people want to know, and people will call the newsroom and say, hey, are the Canadians playing? What's the score? And it's really nice that, you know, people people do care. Uh, you know, it maybe not on the big level like the Canucks, but people do care. I would like to see, you know, more baseball fans, but you know what? The Nat fills up. I don't care who, who fills it up, but people are there, and they're cheering, and they're happy, and that's Really, that's what sports and baseball is all about. Yeah, there's lots of coaches, especially one of the more famous ones, Mike Babcock, who is the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he says you have to keep everything in perspective. In the end, it's just a game. And if people are enjoying it, that's all sports really can offer. Exactly. I mean, would I love for everyone to be able to spout stats? Of course. Is that realistic? No. In any sport, whether it be hockey, basketball, baseball, lacrosse, anything, um, all that matters is that people go and have a good time and that the people that are at the net, the Canadian family, the people that work at the net, they treat everybody so wonderfully that come through those doors. And that's huge. That is a big, big part of the experience. And the Canadians nail it every year. Yeah, it's been astounding to me seeing people out there literally wiping down every seat after the game, uh, hours before yeah. or hours after the game. It's the game is only one thing that people see. Yeah, and it's not a job to them. It's something they enjoy doing. I, everybody there is always so happy and smiling. Like, it's not, oh, I have to do this now. Everybody's so happy, smiling, welcoming. Everybody knows everybody's name. It's just, it's, it is just special. The Nat and the Vancouver Canadians are so special. So on the baseball front of things, have there been any players on this year's C's, not Alec Manoa, uh, who have intrigued you? <laughs> Not Alec Manoa. Well, I, the pitchers. Yeah, I, I'm enjo- I'm quite intrigued by the pitchers, of course, Manoa. But Nolan, Clough, I mean, um, so many players. And, and every day there seems to be somebody new. Schwecky, the kids, the kid can swing. Philip Clark, I mean, that's what I like about this team. I don't know if it's indicative of of the league or indicative of the team and the talent, but every day there's a new player that you look and go, oh, wow, that's a sweet swing. Look at that. So every day you're discovering something new about these players, and that's what I'm intrigued with. And on Manoa, what are your thoughts on him, the man-child? Oh, the man-child is Rob Fakel's, and I love it. I, I've only you know seen the, the one game or heard the one game, I'm I'm definitely intrigued. I mean, you're not 11th overall. You're not an 11th overall pick because you're a bum. I mean, this kid is obviously special. The Jays have obviously seen something in him. And I'm very, very intrigued. I mean, he's only pitched that one inning. It was a good inning. What can you say? I, I can't wait to see more. I can't wait to see more of him. I can't wait to see more of Nolan. Um, um, Gaston has been pulling up his weight as well. I mean, I'm intrigued by the arms and the fact that the Jays are making all of these trades lately and they're getting more pitchers. So I'm just going, okay, I, I see where you're going, Blue Jays. I get it. I get it. But there's a good core here. Yeah, that younger pitcher that they got in the Stroman trade, he could end up in Vancouver in the coming days, I guess, as well. That's what I heard. And I don't know if you go to Anthony Key's uh, Twitter, he's been asking about uh, about 
advice on Toronto and on Canada and responses are just gold. You just have to go and find it and, and watch it. But yeah, I've heard that, um, that the seas might be getting one of them. And that's again, what's so intriguing about this league too, the Manoa watch the who's coming next, you know, it's, it's just so great that the, the head office trusts the Canadian organization to develop their talent. Well, I mean, they should, that's their job, but I mean, they have sent a lot of good players uh, to Vancouver, and which is great for the fan base, but also great for the organization. They're developing and developing well here. Of course, they do send a lot of their good players, but the Vancouver Canadians are also the only stop that Vladdy did not play at. I know. Well, I mean, he's Vladdy. He's a league of his own. But yes, of course. Yeah, everyone was joking when he got hit on the hand by a pitch a couple months ago. Was like, oh, good. Is he going to rehab in Vancouver? I'm like, first of all, don't cheer an injury. <laughs> Stop it. That's bad karma. But ooh, rehabbing in Vancouver. But now we want his hand to be okay. And okay, it turns out it was nothing. He only missed like half a game. So, moot point. And thank goodness for that. But it would have been nice to see Vladdy here. But you know what? We've We've got others that we can fall in love with here. Yeah, definitely. So I think that'll be about it. Um, thanks so okay. much for coming on the podcast. And I think all our listeners, the few that we do have, uh, will definitely appreciate your insight <laughs> to both media and baseball and the baseball culture in Vancouver. Uh, well, thanks for having me on. It was uh, much fun. And uh, go Seas! <laughs>